You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. And thank you again so much for listening to our radio station here in Atlanta, Atlanta's only community-based radio station, uh, WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. We're also streaming at WRFG.org. And welcome to Alternative Perspectives. Uh, And this, my friends, is uh, the beginning of a wonderful Pride weekend, and we'll be talking about that. Um, But this is Atlanta's um, Alternative Perspectives, and we are the only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. I am your host, Greg Bosson, and thank you so much for listening. The opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board, volunteers, funders, or listeners. So tonight on the show, we are featuring uh, a uh, the advocacy, uh, the in-charge advocacy person for the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project has been around for a number of years, uh, and this is a nonprofit organization that is wholly focused on the mental health and suicide prevention for LGBTQ members of our community. Uh, they have grown tremendously over the last few years. Uh, I believe they have, I think he said, over 500 employees at this point. Uh, and they're opening in Mexico uh, the, later this year. So uh, it's kind of a big deal. But if you haven't heard of the Trevor Project, uh, I think this will be an interesting show for you, particularly in this day and age when we have so many laws on the books that are further marginalizing marginalizing the LGBTQ community in our high schools and in our elementary schools. So um, calls are up, suicide is up, and it's something that we definitely need to pay attention to. And the Trevor Project has been doing good work for a number of years with this. So, But before we get into that, of course, it's time for the news. News of the queer. Uh-uh. I know that's right. Oh, no, she didn't say what? With Alexa. Uh, hey, Alexa, how are you doing? Hey, Greg. Um, I'm doing pretty good today. Um, it's a little bit of an overcast where I'm at, so I'm kind of feeling that. But Oh, oh, are you not in Atlanta right now? Or I'm in Atlanta, but oddly enough, right exactly where I'm at, I just, it's been a little overcast. And there's I'm like, a cloud. Oh, my sun? There's some there's cloud coverage. Over yeah. just you, apparently. <laughs> Honestly, though, Atlanta weather is so unpredictable. So, oh, I mean, yeah. it literally could be 10 feet up the road and bright and sunny. Who knows? Well, the weekend, yeah. it was supposed to be a horrible weekend this past weekend because of the hurricane. And it was absolutely beautiful absolutely it was beautiful. gorgeous it was like the perfect weekend yeah, yeah i didn't buy that we were going to get much rain so well i knew when they said that the weather was going to be bad i knew that it wasn't going to be you can almost count on it like clockwork nothing wrong mm-hmm. with being a weatherman but it is it's, it's so funny the way that works all right well let's get to it so what do you have for us uh in news 
Well, you know, first we're going to start with Atlanta Pride. I just wanted to get excited. Very excited about this weekend. For those of you who don't know, this weekend is Atlanta Pride. The festival is Saturday and Sunday. The marketplace is open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. both days. They brought back the parade on Sunday. The parade kicks off at 12 o'clock. Um, so, so excited. I mean, the lineup is crazy, Greg. I think they've got headliners like Flo Rida and Big Frida. Um, they've got a lot of local artists, yoga. I mean, there's literally something for everyone. Yeah, um, so I'm so excited. Yeah, I am, I, I am too. There's actually a kickoff on Thursday, October the 6th, um, at the Atlanta Contemporary, which is 535 Mean Street. So that's a kickoff party. Uh, with Silky Nutmeg Ganache uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, amongst mm-hmm. others, and some DJs and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, you're right. The main stage, it's called the Coca-Cola main stage, which always kind of annoys me, but apparently they paid a lot of money to Pride for this. It's so they nice do. for Pride to be back. You know, they really went through a lot of turmoil over the last uh, couple of years. You know, they were going to have Pride last year, and then yeah. they canceled it. And then everybody freaked out and uh, felt like they weren't part of the decision-making process. But apparently the people that were freaking out were also the people that were like vendors that were hoping to make money off of it. So uh, not quite sure if the motivation there was altruistic, but uh, they're back. They are back. They're back. They yeah. are back. And I'm thinking it's going to be one of the bigger, bigger ones in Africa because everybody's been anticipating it, like you said. So yeah. Um, it's exciting. I encourage everyone to come out. There's something for everybody. Definitely. So. Of course, I won't be there, but you know, what can I say? <laughs> you know, you're moving and shaking always, Greg. I'm moving and you shaking. Are. I'm moving and shaking. All <laughs> right. So, um, I certainly do hope that everybody comes out for pride. Uh, yes. so that's great. And please don't bring a gun. Uh, let's hope no one brings Prefer it. Preferably. <laughs> Guns are not cool. in no weapons if possible, guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What else do we have? <laughs> All right. So um, today I actually wanted to highlight our transgender family. There um, were a ton of stories that came out um, between the United States and around the world about um, our trans community. And so the first story I have is um, Tennessee GOP urges pediatric clinic to stop providing gender-affirming surgeries. A letter signed by the legislature's House Republican Caucus was prompted by a viral blog post from a far-right website. Here we go, Greg. Um, Yeah. Here we go. Um, A group of GOP lawmakers in Tennessee sent a letter Wednesday to Vanderbilt University Medical Center calling on the hospital's pediatric transgender clinic, the only one of its kind in the state, to stop providing gender-affirming surgeries. In the letter addressed to the chair of the hospital's board of directors, state rep Jason Zachary and more than 60 of his Republican colleagues say that they have been quote unquote, alarmed by recent reports that they say describe, quote unquote, surgical mutilations of minor children at the clinic. And there was a tweet sent of this letter. So this letter went out, um, you know, reached far and wide. Um, Quote unquote, the Vanderbilt Pediatric Transgender Clinic's practices qualify as nothing less than abuse, says the letter. Um, It's the latest in a series of reactions, many of which are explicitly transphobic, 
um, to a Twitter thread that went viral last week from the right wing um, pundit, Matt Walsh. Um, in the tweets, Walsh said his quote unquote investigation had uncovered that the hospital, quote, drugs, chemically castrates and performs double mastectomies on minors. Walsh has a history of anti-LGBTQ activism and hosts a podcast for the far-right blog, The Daily Wire. Um, the day after Walsh published the tweets, Vanderbilt University Medical Center released a statement saying that the social media posts and videos misrepresented facts about the care the hospital provides its transgender patients. Um, the story goes, goes in a little bit further. Um, but this one, this story stuck out to me, and it really speaks to the language that um, folks will use to further their agenda. Um, yeah. You know, what? It, yeah. I'm just really, it's so sad, you know, you get a tweet from some uh, right-wing pundit, and then the legislature starts moving immediately, you know, it, as opposed to dealing with issues like poverty or economy or climate change or uh, exactly you know. exactly um what really got me is the quote about drugs chemically castrates and performs double mastectomies on minors it's like leaving out a complete context a complete medical you know and they say investigation right like mm -hmm. walsh investigates as if he's a part of um some medical group or something like that um, it's just really, really frustrating to me. And it's unfortunate because, to be honest, let's keep it real. The average American is not researching everything they hear on the Internet. You give them a sound bite and they run with it as if the truth. And, you know, just the way that, you know, Walsh described what is happening at these clinics. I mean, like you said, they completely start to go to work on it. The legislature says, OK, cool. Yeah. Um, and that and that and even people like like you said, that don't listen to news somehow they still hear the, these things. So they're still getting these posts on their social media um, because it's in their algorithm for them or whatever. And, um, and so they'll say they stop listening to the news, but they pick up little things like this and it works. It works. It works. It yeah. works. It's really and sad. Folks in power know that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? They know that they could put just a little something like this out here and people will run with it and it works. Um, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But I mean, later in the article, it talks about how it's proven that gender affirming care literally saves children's lives. Right. Mm -hmm. um, from suicide and depression and things like that. I mean, it's medically proven. Um, so it's just it's unfortunate. I, I worry about, you know, the children in this area and, and you know, what will happen next. But well, and I'm 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 curious as to you know how many kids are we really talking about and you know it, it, these kids are you know it's their parents you know we you have to get into the specifics of the situation you know but boy i tell you what the the right that doesn't necessarily want to get involved and they don't want the government reaching into their personal lives when it comes to something like this you know then all bets are off but what else do we have yeah. what else do we have all right. So we've actually got a story out of the LGBTQ nation. Um, a trans woman made a map of affirming clinics. Hateful people turned it into a hit list. This one actually scared the crap out of me, Greg. I'm not going to lie, because I would not have even thought this. Um, but when transgender activist Erin Reed first started transitioning, she found it difficult to locate gender affirming health centers that provide um, informed consent around hormone replacement therapy or HRT and its effects. 
So as an adult, she conducted extensive research in trans trans-inclusive web forms and created a Google map listing 786 trans-supportive clinics, LGBTQ community centers, and other services across the nation. Well, a transphobic website called the Gender Mapping Project or the Gender Mapper seemingly reposted Reed's map typos and all in order to help anti-trans activists, quote unquote, name and shame doctors that support trans clients. The website's stated goal is to abolish the, quote, gender industry. Um, We are dedicated to delivering the truth about what is happening to children and youth by documenting the hard numbers on how many gender clinics, how many surgical clinics, and recording evidence where necessary. We wish to hold those who are harming to account Um, And we demand justice for the victims, the website states. So basically, there is this trans woman that did a lot of work to highlight and create a map of um, organizations and community centers that offer gender affirming care, HRT, things like that. Well, there is some right wing website. Um, I'm not exactly sure who's created it, but they have basically made a website using that to target those Mm -hmm. institutions and those those organizations. Um, It goes on to say the website, which repeats right wing falsehoods about, quote, experimental surgeries, chemical chemical castration and using gender affirming care to abuse children was founded by Alex Aaron, a member of the Women's Liberation Front, a group that opposes trans legal and civil rights. Okay, so it was a member of the Women's Liberation Front that founded this this website. Um, But this scared me. Right. I've I've heard of people before um, creating these maps for gender affirming care just to give access to the queer community. Like, hey, if you can't find care, this is the closest one to you just to kind of make it easier and accessible. Um, But now that these maps are being these lists are being used um, as targets. It's scary. Yeah. No. And I I think about, you know, people, um, you know, going to these spaces uh and uh you know with bombs or something you know this this you know it reminds me of my sister's room the gay bar here in atlanta many years ago that um uh that uh there was a bomb there so that's it's i guess two sides of a coin you know when you let people know where to go to get help you also let um people that are willing that are wanting to do harm you let them know where to go as well. It's really sad. Absolutely. Um, not surprising. Not surprising. And again, I still, I just keep coming back to, I just don't understand why people are so upset about the trans community in general. And I know they're saying, well, you know, these are children. I, I don't know. I don't know that I buy that. I, I think it's all rooted in this idea of uh, you, you know, there should just be two genders and you should stay with what you were assigned at birth. Otherwise, you're upsetting the natural order of life. You're upsetting God, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So yeah. It's just fear. Um, it's fear. 
Absolutely. And I mean, they talk about the gender or gay agenda. Um, But truth be told, the right wing is the group that actually has a very specific direct agenda Mm -hmm. to, quote unquote, you know, reclaim or maintain some kind of power um, in this country. And it goes back to me of like the queer community ends up being a scapegoat. Right. Like, will this can we can we use them, put them on the chopping block to um, reclaim some perceived lost power in this country. So, I mean, I could go on on about that for days, Mm -hmm. Um, but this one, one, I felt so bad for Aaron, right? Like I felt bad for this woman who did all that work um, to offer um, services that are considered, you know, to create safety for, for, for trans people. Um, But then for it to be used um, to, I just couldn't imagine what she might be feeling, right? Oh my God, did I put, you know, my community in harm's way. Like, I wonder if she's carrying any guilt about that. Like how, I just couldn't imagine what that would feel like. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, I think, any, I think that anytime you're trying to affect change, you have a, a marginalized community and you stand up um, and you say, I'm here. Yeah. Um, you also, you know, you, you put yourself out there to be hurt. You know, you, it's so true. It's, it's kind of part of the deal. Um, it's, it's really sad, but it's part of the deal. Um, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Um, so this one, oh, bright spot, Greg, bright spot. So um, <laughs> ABC News released a story. Pakistan launches anti-harassment hotline for trans people. Um, Pakistan launched a special hotline for transgender people in an effort to protect their rights and save them from discrimination and harassment. Um, On Friday, they launched this hotline for transgender people to, again, to help protect them from harassment and discrimination, um, said a government official. Trans people in Pakistan are considered outcasts by many, especially in conservative areas in the country, where they are often sexually abused, assaulted, and even murdered. They also hesitate to enroll in regular schools to avoid discrimination. Um, An advisor to the prime minister said in a tweet that the much-awaited hotline for the protection of trans people from discrimination and harassment um, had been set and was live. The hotline is connected to top police officers and the Ministry of Human Rights. Um, He sent a quote, we are glad that this um, so-called hotline has been set up. Um, A spokesperson of the transgender people in Pakistan told the Associated Press by phone. Bobby said in most cases of harassment, trans people are either beaten, arrested or publicly harassed by police across the country. So this was kind of twofold for me. I'm excited that something has been done on a larger scale for um, trans folk in Pakistan. But as I was reading through it earlier, um, I realized that they said something that trans folk usually would experience with their harassment is being arrested um, or publicly harassed by police. And this hotline is connected to police. And so I'm excited about the potential that this could do, potential, potential good that this can do, that they're having these kind of larger public conversations. But I do concern, I am concerned about putting um, trans people in connection to, you know, officers and uh, police, you know, the police community that they are potentially be experiencing harm from and by. So um, I don't know. I actually would probably like to follow the story a little bit more, but overall I got excited about them having the conversation, you know, more publicly and broadly. Well, and, and I was looking back in the history in 2018, the parliament passed the, uh, 
the Transgender Persons Protection of Rights Act, which established broad protections for transgender people earlier in a historic 2009 ruling. The Supreme mm-hmm. Court of Pakistan ruled in favor of civil rights for transgender citizens, and further court rulings upheld and increased these rights. Uh, Pakistan does not have civil rights laws to pro- prohibit discrimination or harassment on the base basis of sexual orientation, though. Mm-hmm. So here's a country that uh, has no uh, rights for those that are gay, but uh, somehow the transgender community has been um, been given uh, special attention. I there must be something in the culture about that. I'm very. That's curious. what I was going to say. Something yeah. culturally. Yeah. yeah. So I'll have to look into that, and we'll have to talk more about that before uh, before we uh, meet again, because that's very interesting to me. You wouldn't think Pakistan I think so too. would uh, 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 do anything. So. Uh, uh, yeah, there's still laws against homosexuality in um, Pakistan, but they're largely unenforced. Uh, Culturally, there must be something around gender mm-hmm. fluidity. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm yeah, thinking. That is interesting. That's yeah. What I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've got uh, we've got a little uh, we've got a little bit more time. Um, what else do we got? All right. So um, here we have transgender Guatemalan woman's deportation case gets um, case to get to U.S. Supreme Court review. Um, so the U.S. Supreme Court said on Monday that it will take up a transgender Guatemalan woman's bid to avoid being tra- deported after U.S. Immigration Board said she did not prove that she would face persecution if she returned to her home country. The court granted um, Leon's petition for review, which presents two technical but important questions about the process immigrants must follow to appeal rulings ordering deportation. Benjamin, a lawyer for Santos, said he was pleased that the Supreme Court had taken up the case. The U.S. Department of Justice, which represents the government, did not immediately respond to requests a request for comment. Santos, 34, says a neighbor in Guatemala raped and threatened to kill her when she was 12 because of her gender identity and sexual orientation, and that if she is deported, she would likely be subjected to further harassment and violence. The U.S. Board of Immigration Appeals in 2019 said the government had shown the conditions for LGBTQ people in Guatemala had improved. So Santos could not establish that she was likely to face persecution if she is deported. The Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in a two to one decision last year said it could not hear Santos appeal because she had raised arguments that were not made before the BIA. The Supreme Court will decide if the Fifth Circuit Court was correct and whether Santos was required to first ask the BIA to reconsider its ruling before appealing. So it goes on a little bit more to talk about this case. One, I thought this was really great because it's an example of um, someone being the U.S. Supreme Court taking up such an important case that I think um, a lot of people would just kind of, you know, just kind of write off, especially with all the stuff around immigration happening. Um, But it does open up conversations about the process. Um, Mm -hmm. The process it takes for someone who is, you know, potentially could be deported, what it takes to get your case um, overturned or appealed. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
That, that I'm a little concerned about it myself because we have such a conservative uh, court right now. Um, and they are taking up some cases that are uh, fairly controversial and uh, in a ways in the ways that they didn't used to. And yeah. I think they're looking to I'm look, I think they're looking to make some significant uh, changes and turn the country to the right. So I'm I'm concerned about that. I really am. I don't yeah. know that it's such good news that they're going to hear the case. Yeah. Hopeful that it's getting, I guess part of me was just like, yes, we're shining light on um, a story. Because I feel like a lot of people don't consider when someone's come, when someone's trying to immigrate here to the United States, it's not just people who are trying to escape, you know, just regular gang violence, like you have to consider the intersecting, the intersectional, um, intersecting identities that people can come here with. And there are people, queer people who are trying to come to the United States um, because of the persecution, um, specifically because of their gender identity or sexual orientation. So I like that, that this is going to make headlines and become a part of a broader conversation. But you're right. It could be the Supreme Court just choosing the case to make an example and use it to overturn a law or create a new one. Mm-hmm. You're right, Greg. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, Jeez. it's, it's concerning to me. And it, it, it is interesting, uh, you know, what is okay to ask for asylum for and what is not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is something that, probably needs to be discussed more but uh you know if somebody comes to this country because they are avoiding persecution because they're jewish you know well this is what happened in world war ii we kind of turned a blind eye to it for as long as we possibly could uh if you're watching there's a new ken ken's ken burn special on the holocaust in america uh and our um, yeah uh it's it's really quite uh it's really quite amazing how the country kind of turned away uh to try and help now we did help more jews than anyone but it took a very long time and a long long time convincing uh before uh america opened its doors and uh let jews in it wasn't like yeah. that initially but no, uh, it wasn't but if you but if you say that it's okay to do that, then I won't don't see why it wouldn't be okay to let somebody who's being persecuted for being gay or being transgender come in as well. So, um, but uh, well, is that it? I did I did want to, or do you have another one? Uh, I have one really quick bright spot. Yeah, I definitely want to lift us out of all of that completely. We have sure. Time. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so Scottish pro Xander Murray inspires fellow soccer player to come out as gay. Two weeks after making headlines as the first ever senior Scottish pro soccer player to come out as gay, Xander Murray is revealing the impact his courageous decision has had on at least one closeted player. Murray tweeted a message he received that shows the difference an athlete coming out can make. Quote, I just wanted to tell you that you've been a massive inspiration for me to come out to teammates and family, the anonymous player told Murray, according to the tweet. As a young footballer, I find it difficult to be myself as it is, but being gay and keeping it a secret was so challenging. It felt amazing when I told my teammates they were super supportive. Um, Representation matters, Greg. 
Yeah. Representation matters. So this, this just kind of was super, super sweet. Yeah. Her athlete comes out and um, an anonymous person sends a, a thank you message because it helped them come out too. I think that's, I think that's amazing. And um, uh, speaking so much about trans people before we finish up. So, yes. you know, the main March is on Sunday, but yes. on Saturday, um, there's a trans march that happens uh, at um, it, the meet time is at one fifteen. The step off time is at one forty five. Uh, and uh, the march begins at the Charles Allen Gate uh, to Piedmont Park, I assume. So that's Saturday, this Saturday, get there at one fifteen. They start at one forty five. It's an annual trans march. Uh, there's also a buy and pan march that's happening, uh, and they are meeting, I'm assuming, at the same gate, that Charles Allen gate on 10th Street uh, mm-hmm. that starts at 3.30, and then there is a dyke march. Is that okay? To, is dyke, I was going to say, can you say that on here? I don't know. Well, I know we but can, that's but what that's, it what, is. that's what it's called. So it that's starts what it is. At, yes. And it's at Saturday at 5. So, um if you're interested in supporting uh, some of these uh, more marginalized community with communities within the larger queer community, then uh, show up on Saturday and do a little march. Uh, it might be less corporate than the standard big march on Sunday, it's which true. is a parade of corporations. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome, that. Greg. Uh, always, always. And we will be right If you've been looking for a way to give back to your community, there's a perfect opportunity right here in our own neighborhood. On Saturday, October 8th, 11 a.m. and Tuesday, October 11th, 6 p.m. in the Chiffalo Cafe of the Little Five Points Community Center, the center will conduct a new volunteer orientation event. Whether assisting with special events, office organization, youth programs, or the many other opportunities, the Little Five Points Community Center is an institution of service. L5PCC is the home to diverse organizations including artist studios, three theater companies, WRFG 89.3 radio station, the Marching Abominables Band, Atlanta Jugglers, and much more. The dates again are October 8th, 11 a.m. and October 11th, 6 p.m. This is another public service announcement from your station for progressive information and handpicking music, WRFG 
All right, and we are back. Um, that was a nice little gentle tune called The Sea uh, by Morchiba. And um, I'm quite sure you've never heard of it, but it is a really mellow song, which is kind of how I'm feeling this evening. Um, I had a wonderful weekend this weekend, by the way. And the weather here in Atlanta was fabulous. So thank, uh, thank God um, for that. But anyway, welcome back. Um, you are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. And this, of course, is Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Um, one more time, I'll say the opinions exp- expressed here are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board, volunteers, funders, and or listeners. So I am sure many of you have heard of an organization called the Trevor Project, uh, and uh, I have been wanting to get somebody on the show from the Trevor Project for a long time, actually, and we finally have been able to do it. So on the show, we have a, a guest to talk about the state of uh, suicide and suicide prevention in the LGBTQ community, which is up. Um, uh, his uh, name is Troy Stevenson, and he is the senior campaign manager for advocacy and governmental affairs. Uh, Troy, welcome uh, to the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you for joining. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm going to start in a very weird place, Troy, um, oh. I, uh, which is, uh, you know, there's this war in Russia. Uh, and you know that President Putin just recently uh, annexed um, the four regions on the east. Um, and anyway, he 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 did a speech, uh, and I believe it was over the weekend. Um, and one of the things he said, uh, this is him trying to justify the war in Ukraine and turning into really a war against the West. Uh, so in his speech, he said uh, that Russia uh, was leading... Uh, a, a liberation and anti-colonial movement to create a just and free world. And he spoke with contempt about the need to save Russia from, quote, Western degradation. And in, it, he, in this, he referred to the acceptance of non-binary and transgender people and other monstrous experiments aimed at crippling children's souls. And, and this is what he says in his speech as a justification for this war. Do we want things that lead to degradation and extinction to be imposed on children from elementary schools? Do we want them to be taught that instead of men and women, there are supposedly some other genders and to be offered sex change surgeries? This is unacceptable to us. So I, I just, I found it, shocking but not surprising uh and it feels like uh basically the queer community is again being used as pawns uh Mm -hmm. really but um i wondered uh you know what the trevor project's thoughts are on something like that and and do you see this happening all over um i mean i don't think as an organization we have haven't thought much about what um what mr putin says but as somebody that uh, has watched him and has watched history, um, history's got 
a habit of othering, finding the other, somebody that they can paste the problems of the nation on or the problems of the moment. And uh, Mr. Putin does a lot of that, it seems. But what I can say is 45% of LGBT youth just in the United States seriously consider attempting suicide each year. And one in five transgender non-binary youth in the United States consider suicide each year. Just imagine how much exponentially higher that is in a place where folks are so rejected and that this kind of rhetoric is coming from from the leader of a nation. I know that in our research, we've seen that over the last two years, um, the level of political rhetoric aimed at young trans non-binary youth and other LGBTQ youth has had an exponential level of, of, of suicidality attached to it right here. And so I, I would I think it's tragic that folks are using children in this way as a, as a talking point. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it is uh, really sad also. So um, I'm going to start real basic. If you could just tell us also, what, what is the history of the Trevor project? How did it actually come about? Sure. Um, in 1994, there was a, a short film that um, it was an award-winning short film that um, was created about a 13-year-old boy who is grappling with bullying, family rejection, and suicidality. Um, it went on to be on HBO, had lots of celebrity backing, but the founders of the Trevor Project realized quickly, who were involved with the, the film, that that they needed something to allow these young people to go to when they did watch it in case they were triggered in case, you know, it's, it's one thing to see a film, but it's another thing to have the follow-up. So um, yeah, in 1998, uh, the Trevor project was founded as a crisis services line that is since become 24 um, seven and it's got not just phones, but it's got text um, and, and chat functions so we can reach the younger generation who, who communicate differently than many of us did back in the day. But um, yeah, over the course of 25 years, we have, we've really come a long way. It'll be 25 years next year. So this will be the 24th anniversary this year. Oh, wow. That's amazing. 25 years. And I noticed that when I go to the site, because I looked at the site and I thought this was especially interesting that a pop, we, a pop-up came up and I didn't know if that was something that you guys have said, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. It's a, it's a privacy measure to make sure that young people uh, who use our website are safe when they're using it. It's a tool that's been used across domestic violence and crisis lines for years to ensure privacy and safety. Yeah. So the pop-up just simply explain, explains that if you press the escape button three times, you you're immediately uh, taken off the site, I guess, in case somebody uh, comes into a room, if you have somebody that is, um, yeah. So I'm wondering, so have the, have the, have the calls increased um, in the last year in states like Florida after the, uh, the law was passed in July? We've, we've seen some deviation in, in numbers, but our, as the organization grow, our numbers grow each year. So it, we're, our crisis services are hard pressed to say the reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. No, numbers are growing. We can't yeah. give an exact example, but we have, We've seen data about um, the effect this is having on young people mm-hmm. in general. We've seen our call volume go up each year, but once again, that could be because of capacity, but we, in many ways, we, we see what's going on. We have heard an increase in chatter about uh, Florida and Georgia and Texas and, and places where these bills are happening. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can say that we are hearing more about it. I don't know about the necess- necessarily 
where the calls themselves are coming from and taking up mm-hmm. from. Yeah, so I'm wondering um, what the effect of COVID was on the organization over the uh, the last couple of years, both in terms of uh, being your able your ability to provide services, but then also in the level of calls that came in. Um, once again, because of the we've been we've scaled hugely in the last two years. So we've got a lot more staff than we did. So the calls are coming in more because we have more capacity to take them. Unfortunately, there are a lot more people that um, I think would call than, than for any crisis services line. You know, you, you have just capacity issues. But um, because of 988 and the way that's growing, uh, 988 is a, is a national line similar to uh, what 911 looks like, except it's for mental health crises. It's come up during COVID, so it hasn't gotten a lot of... Um, Yes. What's the, yeah, I did hear about that. What's the, it's, what's the three, it's not 911. It's 988 is a a national federal um, crisis services line, similar to 911 in its ease of use. It's not Mm -hmm. the same as 911, but it will, um, instead of sending everybody to a uh, police oriented 911 system, it will send people can call 988 and it gets the mental health services, suicide prevention services, um, and make sure there's a counselor that they can speak to. Um, LGBTQ youth are quite often reverted or uh, transferred to the Trevor Project. We've just begun that in the last week. We had our first call. It was it was actually really exciting to watch that come in. Oh, but, so you're you're partnering with them then? Absolutely. And then the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and several other organizations have have stepped in to partner with the government as we expand. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I know you said that you have around 500 employees now at this point. Um, Yeah. A lot of those are the folks that, that are answering our crisis calls. So, okay. As we've expanded to your point about COVID, as we've expanded across the country, we've previously had call centers in um, New York and California and when we went fully remote for COVID a couple of years ago, we now have staff in, I believe, all 50 states. Really? So, oh, yeah. wow. So I would, have, I would have assumed that, these, that the, uh, the number of the people that are taking calls are volunteers, but these are all paid. Staff. No, no, no. A lot of them are volunteers mm-hmm. that, are, that go through extensive training. But um, we have um, crisis services supervisors who supervise all those calls as they're going through so that we have a, a, somebody that's trained. All the volunteers are trained, but we also have the uh, the trained counselors and supervisors that that can intervene in the event that a, a call is escalated. Yeah, I I I just I wonder how you handle some of these calls given the environment that these kids are living in. I I remember uh, uh, growing up, I I knew that I was gay when I was in probably fifth grade, fourth grade. Um, because as I tell people, the same time that you start developing attractions for, you know, I guess, members of the opposite sex, those of us that are gay start developing attractions, uh, for members of the same sex. And I knew that it meant that I was gay and, and I took my cues, uh, on, you know, in terms of the rightness or wrongness of that from society. And, uh, I didn't feel like I could talk to my family about it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I struggled eventually I told my mother and she, because I fell in love with the kid, Scott Carroll actually, (laughs) but, um, anyway, uh, 
And she took me to a psychologist right. who was probably gay, Troy, from, now that That's I look good. back on it. But anyway, so the psychologist told me, well, you know, if you are gay, that's okay. That's not a big deal. You know, there are many football players that are gay in the NFL. And this was back in like the 1970s. And what he said was right, but it didn't really do anything to help me because I was like, okay, well, maybe in this room right now, you know, for this 45 minute session that we're having, maybe it's okay to be gay, but why don't you come out with me to old Woodward elementary school and, you know, let's see what that's like when people are calling each other fag and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I just wonder how it just feels like it's such a small thing, you know, one phone call, how do you do something like that? You know, I guess is what I'm asking. How do you affect change? Um, like what's the process, I guess, you know, what are these people trained to say? Um, I'll be honest. I, I have shadowed three years ago, four, uh, three and a half years ago when I first started with the organization. I, um, I don't do that, that piece myself. So right. I know that uh, they go through extensive training and not everybody that, that enters the program becomes a crisis um, counselor so, or answers the crisis calls. But I do know that sometimes these are very difficult calls they're taking. They're hearing from young people across the country that that sometimes are in their, their darkest moment. And, and that's, um, that's gotta be hard. I know it's hard on them. So it's yeah. what we do in every other part of the organization is to support those, those folks that, that do uh, make the sacrifice to take those calls every day and listen to people. Are you referring moment. them out then? Or you have, it looks like you have your own, um, I guess, talk a little bit about the programs that you have to kind of help the kids. Because it looks like not only can you call, you can also chat, right, or uh, online, or I believe even text on a phone, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You can uh, you can chat, talk, text. Um, we don't go into a lot of detail about the calls themselves and what happens um, on them because those are, are privileged. But um, but yeah, we we have a um, the 24 hour hotline, which is the original, the phone line is where a young person can call and, and talk at any point in time throughout the, the day to somebody that, that is there to listen and somebody that's going to talk them through it, somebody that's trained in the best ways to de-escalate somebody that is um, facing suicidality. We've got the text line, which is similar, except done via the telephone, by text. And then there's a chat function that allows young people to chat in the way we used to with I guess people still do. I don't do it very often, but um, like Slack or any of the other systems we use. But, uh, and then we've got Trevor Space, which is a social media platform for, um, for young people under 25 to, and that's, that one's global. Oh, um, wow. So they can. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering, you said global. I mean, do you have a presence in other countries at this point, or is that the one area that you can connect with people in other countries um well that's fun you ask but uh later this month the trevor project launches its uh first international endeavor it's a free confidential 24 7 digital crisis services line in mexico so trevor mexico will be up at the end of this month we've got 50 staff in mexico with a um a executive director for trevor mexico that will start taking calls soon 
Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's really great. That's, that's awesome. Um, all right. We are speaking, uh, with, uh, Troy, uh, whoops, I lost something here with Troy, uh, Stevenson with the Trevor project. And we will be right back. WRFG 89.3 FM is proud to be the radio sponsor for the Little Fly Point's Halloween Festival and Parade, the number one Halloween festival in the South. Join us Saturday, October 22nd, and Sunday, October 23rd for a wicked weekend event featuring a monster hunt, ghost tours, drag queen karaoke, an old school freak show, and a skate ramp. And no Monster Fest will be complete without live music, local artists, and of course food trucks, along with WRFG, your independent community radio station broadcasting live from the Little Five Points Community Center. The ghoulish goings-on kick off with a monster ball and costume contest with DJ Quasi and friends at the Star Community Bar on Thursday, October 20th, and a monster hunt on Saturday, October 22nd, which all lead up to the famous Little Five Points Halloween Parade on Sunday, October 23rd, at 2 p.m. Proceeds benefit the Little Five Points Business Association, a nonprofit supporting small businesses and making improvements in the Little Five Points Business District. For directions and more details, go to wrfg.org. That was We Owe We by the Hidden Cameras, another mellow song for, I don't know why I'm so mellow uh, tonight, but uh, welcome back. You're listening to Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta only, Atlanta's only queer radio hour on WRFG, uh, Atlanta 89.3, and we're speaking with Troy uh, Stevenson. So, uh, Troy, I wanted to... I guess get a little bit of personal, personal with you. Cause I always like to do this on the show sometimes. So uh, actually I don't even know if you're gay or not. I am. Yeah. Okay. You are. Okay. Are there straight people that work for the Trevor project? I'm sure there are. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Do you many, know what many. the percentages are? <laughs> um, well, I know that it's more queer than straight. That's yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the exact, somebody in our HR department does and probably scream at me if I said it. <laughs> How long have you been working there? Um, I was three years. It'll be three and a half years. I was six months as a contractor, and then I started three years ago this month. 
All right. Okay. So you, um, how was your, what is your coming out story? I would say like, did you have a good experience or not so much? Where'd you Um, grow up? Where'd you grow up? I grew up right here in Oklahoma in a suburb of Oklahoma city called Edmond. Um, and I guess I had two coming out experiences really. I started when I was about 15 in high school in the late nineties, I started to come out and met my first boyfriend and, um, and like 15 year olds do, we were holding hands behind the school one day and, uh, the football team came running out and we each ran away from them, uh, to our homes. And I called him when I got home and he was distraught. I mean, I couldn't get him to calm down and I couldn't quite understand why for a minute. And they started telling me a story about, um, a place his parents had sent him and his fear of going back. He just kept saying, I can't go back. I can't go back. And ended up putting the phone down that night. And um, I assumed it'd see him the next day, but he actually took his own life that night. And that was, that was what made me do what I do. That's what I went. Now I'm, I lead our conversion therapy or efforts to end conversion therapy across the country. Oh my God. And how old were you when? 15. So this was somebody that you were, well, I don't know that you, yeah, it's kind of hard to date at fifteen, but you guys yeah. were holding hands at fifteen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh Troy, that is horrible. You know, it's, but it it's one of the, it's one of the reminders of why we do this work every day and how important it is that, um, because this was right around the time that the Trevor Project was formed, and yet, had something like this been as robust as it is today, that might have been, um, something that he could have turned to. Yeah. Oh. Well, um, now, were you out at that point to anyone, like your family? A few people, friends, but not really. I, uh, and I went back into the closet for the better part of a decade. After I that. bet you did. Well, yeah. did your parents know this person or know that you were friends with him? Or well, Yeah, they did, but not. they didn't know. They, they had no clue as to the extent of it. Well, and when did you finally come out to your, to your family or have oh. you? I, I moved overseas. No, I, I moved overseas for quite a while. So I was about 25. Oh, where'd you move? London. I went to law school in London. Oh, okay. All right. Did you find that a more welcoming place for the gay That's community? Part of the reason, yeah, part of the reason I went was, yeah, London is more welcoming in many ways than Oklahoma city, but yeah. Yeah. But, well, it's nice that you, um, it's nice that you've come back to the States and came back to your home, um, and are trying to turn something that was so awful into, um, I don't know, an impetus to do better. So I think that yeah. that's, I think that that's awesome. You know, it just feels like we're in a, um, we're in a, a time right now that I, I didn't think that we would be in. It feels like we're going backwards in many ways, not just here in the States, but really across the world. Uh, and it's, it's a scary time right now to be uh, young and uh, certainly trans. Uh, it's, it's a very scary time uh, for that, which is really, uh, it's really sad and unfortunate, but, um, but thank you so much for the work uh, that you're doing. We only have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything in particular that you wanted anybody to know about um, before I let you go? I would just say on, on the last point you made, I think that young people need to remember, especially we all need to remember, but young people, especially that, um, progress works on a pendulum and we've made great strides in the last 20 years. And this is the pushback. There's always a massive pushback like this right before you win. So 
I think that as traumatic as the legislation we see is and the vitriol we see and, and things that Mr. Putin says, um, we we all have to remember that this they're noticing us. They're noticing that we exist and it won't take long before that. They, they know that the rights are coming, especially to, to trans youth. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's why the fight is so hard right now. Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly hope so. And I agree with you completely on the, um, that we're just seeing a, a, um, a pendulum swing. Um, and, and it really, you can trace it back to Obama being elected, you know, it was such a hopeful time, you know, and then Biden comes out and says, you know, that we should, you know, have marriage equality. And, you know, then we get marriage equality in 2015, which I never thought I'd see in my lifetime, you know, um, but boy, I tell you what, we paid the price uh, right. for getting a taste of freedom. Uh, it's been, it's been insane. And uh, I, I, the Florida law uh, has resulted in, uh, there are uh, teachers that were forced to take down safe space signs in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the Dade County uh, uh, school district voted a couple of weeks ago, not to, uh, call October LGBTQ History Month not to have that as part of their district because they thought that it would run afoul of this law yeah. uh, that is being championed by a man who is most likely going to run for president. So um, it's a scary time. It's a scary time. But uh, thank you so much for uh, for the work that you do, Troy. And um, so uh, and oh. You just Google the Trevor Project, right? If you're interested yeah. in folks can go to uh the trevorproject.org. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. you can find out more right. about it. You can volunteer, you can donate. Uh and uh and what is the hotline number, by the way? Well, that is a very good question that I should know off the top of You my really head. should know that, shouldn't you? I know. I know. <laughs> Let's end with the phone number just in case. Let me see. It is All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Troy. And uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, next up, we have the Peach State Festival. And let's hope the weather continues. And if you run across anybody whose kid uh, is gay, um, reach out and I don't know. Say hello. Uh, If they're out, obviously. All right. uh, We'll talk to you next week.